The Step I Have Taken, Letter 2, by Edward Dennett. Letter 2. Blackheath, January 1875. My beloved brother. How merciful is the Lord to conceal from us the future. I am afraid that if we had seen the path before us, our prayers would have died on our lips. How did the Lord answer our prayers? In both cases, it was by sickness. I was the first to be smitten in October, 1872. Having somewhat recovered, I struggled on with my work until March, 1873. This period of weakness was the most fruitful period of my ministry in the conversion of souls. It was, therefore, my earnest desire to remain at my post, but the Lord was to send me away into the desert for a long season of heart-searching in His presence. Becoming very ill, I was sent to the continent for a six months' rest, which was extended to thirteen months before I returned. Although the Lord had now separated me from my people, see note, I joyfully recall how they ministered to my need throughout this time. May the Lord abundantly repay them because they did it as unto himself in the person of his servant, and supply all their need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4 verse 19. Note, this phrase, my people, is used in these letters simply as expressive of old associations, not as justifying it now. Edward Dennett Before I discuss my exercises during my stay in Switzerland, let me look forward a few months. Not long after I left, your health also failed. You likewise went to the continent where we unexpectedly met at Lausanne. You know how I was impressed with these coincidences in the Lord's dealing with us. Thus, I suggested that we consider whether there had been something in our position and teaching which had brought the Lord's loving chastisement on us, and that it might be the Lord's design to correct us and lead us into a fuller understanding of His truth, and into a position more according to His mind. This question came from much previous self-examination and self-judgment. It is natural to the child of God that trial should bring heart-searching. Thus, no sooner had I reached the continent than, in my daily walks and during my sleepless nights, the question continually before me was, what is the Lord's purpose in this affliction, or, what does He wish to teach me? I resolved not to rest until I knew the meaning of His chastening hand. Hence, I examined and re-examined my past methods of work, the truths I had taught, and the position I had occupied. Let me briefly detail the results of my investigation. First, I considered my book against the brethren. Soon after it was issued, I had regretted its publication because, although I believed all that I had written, I sincerely admired what I knew of the brethren, so-called. I admired their separated walk, their simplicity of life, and their love for the Word of God and the person of our blessed Lord. I was sorry that I had hurt them, and that, by my book, I had shut myself out from all fellowship with them. Further, I questioned whether I had been fair in criticizing detached quotations, whether, in fact, I had honestly sought to determine their real meaning and then to test them by Scripture. Consequently, long before leaving England, I ceased to advertise my book. With more authentic information on many of the points on which I had dwelt, and having been forced to renounce, after searching the Scriptures, some of the doctrines which I had therein advocated, I was compelled not only to withdraw the book, but to confess that I could no longer agree with all its statements. I further resolved that, at the first opportunity, I would state this publicly and express my sorrow for its publication. Next, I examined my practice in the light of my teaching. Had I been consistent? I had to admit some important discrepancies. I had preached for many years that believers should be gathered as believers on the Lord's Day to break bread. 
I also knew the evil of pew rents. Apart from their unscriptural character, I had noticed that poor believers had to sit where they could, however uncomfortable it might be, because unbelievers who could pay, could choose their pews. I had frequently stated my convictions on these points, and thus had satisfied myself with my testimony. Here was failure. I was responsible for the truths which the Lord revealed to me. Hence, I was responsible, in faithfulness to God, to carry them out in action. I had neglected this, but now, God has given me grace to confess my error and to seek strength for faithfulness on my return. After this, I tested the doctrines I had preached by the light of Scripture. Here also, I discovered grounds for regret. I had taught the mortality of the Lord's human body, in the sense of it being under the necessity of death. I was not aware of the errors with which this doctrine had been associated or I would have shrunk from it with horror. Further study showed me that the Lord's human body was mortal, but only in the sense of it being capable of dying, and not in any wise as being under the necessity of death. To maintain the latter would be an attack on the very foundations of the Lord's atoning sacrifice on the cross. The coming of the Lord for His saints also occupied my attention. We had maintained that, while His coming would be premillennial, before the Lord's 1,000-year reign over the earth, there were intervening events before the rapture of saints. Hence, the church would have to pass through the Great Tribulation and thus be on the earth during the Antichrist's reign. I devoted the whole winter to this subject. I searched the scriptures with other Christians and finally concluded that the church would not be in the tribulation, the time between the Lord's coming to the clouds for believers, the rapture, and his return to the earth to reign, his appearing. For instance, I saw that Matthew 24 does not apply to the church. With great delight, I realized that the believer is privileged to daily expect the Lord's return. I long had had a secret conviction that unless this were so, many of the exhortations of Scripture as to waiting and watching had little force, and that such an expectation must exert, in the power of the Holy Spirit, a most blessed and sanctifying influence on the believer's soul. My change of view on this subject helped me to modify several other points. It brought into clearer light the nature and calling of the Church, the contrast between the earthly hope of the Jew and the heavenly hope of the believer, and between the kingdom and the Church. All this led to the readjustment of related truths. But, I did not go further at that time. Although during the winter, at Bible readings and in conversations with friends, I found it difficult to defend the church practices with which I was associated, I stuck to my position. With the above exceptions, I had not altered any fundamental principle anything, at least, that affected my continuing at the post I had held for so many years. If I had any thoughts about changing my position, the prospect of soon returning to my beloved people scattered them and re-established my confidence. Thus, when we finally started home, the only fear I had was whether my health would enable me to resume my long-interrupted work. Yours affectionately in the Lord. Edward Dennett